0: Welcome to this Upila Audio presentation of The Boy Fortune Hunters in Panama, by Floyd Akers. Volume 6, Chapter 14, We Astonish Our Foes Slowly the sun rose, and as its first rays lit the cloudless sky, the Lala came gliding from the palace and sprang lightly up the steps. "'that Duncan had let down in order to receive her. "'Once she was in the car, we all breathed easier, "'and the inventor especially showed his content and exultation. "'Now let them come,' he cried, "'and each of us felt that the sooner the suspense was over, "'the better we would like it. "'King Lignad gave us plenty of time, though, "'and we had breakfast while we waited.' the princess accepting her share with gracious enjoyment of a meal quite novel in her experience. She was so unaffected and so charming in her manner that already we began to consider her one of us. At last the king and his chiefs emerged, and we could see by their stern faces that a climax to our adventure had arrived. Moyd was ready for them. He backed the machine around until it was facing the barricade, and as far removed from it as the enclosure could allow. He had made Alala crouch low to the floor of the car so that her people would not discover her presence. A spokesman advanced from the group of warriors and demanded Bryonia's promised answer. I opened a side window and said boldly and in a an loud voice that we had played with the San Blaise people long enough. You annoy us with your foolish demands, I added, and we cannot bother to remain with you any longer. Had you been friendly, we would have favored you. But you are silly children, and now we will leave you. As I finished speaking, Duncan opened the window in the front of his steering wheel and aimed a shot from his revolver at the red chalk mark on the barricade that marked the location of the explosive. There was no result. So he fired again, and then he fired still again. The natives, at first furious at my insults, now paused to wonder what the big white slave was shooting at, and I saw that the inventor's nervousness, or lack of marksmanship, was likely soon to plunge us all into a great deal of trouble. Leaping to his side, I pushed him away, and took careful aim with my own revolver. A crash that seemed to rend the very air followed. The machine was hurled backward against the king's palace from which a rain of mud, bricks, and bits of wood rattled down upon us, while all the open space of the enclosure was filled with falling debris. Shrieks of terror and pain followed, while we, who had been dumped in a heap on the floor of the car, scrambled up and took note of what had happened. The wall had vanished, and only a ragged depression in the earth remained, to mark the place where the barricade had lately stood. None of us was injured, fortunately, and as soon as Duncan had assured himself that Alala was alive and unhurt, he sprang to the lever and the machine bounded forward and skimmed light as a feather over the littered ground. I tried to look out and wave an adieu to King Nelignad, but we were off like a shot across the meadows, and all I could see was a mass of excited natives "'rushing here and there in wild confusion. "'After fifteen minutes of this terrific speed, "'Moyt moderated our pace, "'for we were miles from the village "'and pursuit was now impossible. "'Where too?' he asked, "'his voice seeming to indicate that he cared not a rap "'since we had managed to escape with a beautiful princess. "'I think it's a good idea for us to find that valley of the diamonds "'as soon as possible.' and secure our plunder before the king can raise an alarm and head us off. All right. Where is it? he demanded. I produced the map and pointed out the location of the valley, which appeared to lie in a fork of the river far to the south. We're now somewhere to the east of the king's village, I observed. That hilly ground ahead of us rises to small mountains between here and the sea. But if we turn south, there's open country, clear through to the forest-clad mountain range, and when we reach the forest we can follow its edge until we come to the Diamond Valley. That is clear enough, replied Boyd, looking over my shoulder. So we turned south and presently came to a stream with such steep banks that we could not cross it. The map had not prepared us for this, so we kept to the eastward, endeavoring to find a crossing until we reached a marsh and found our wheels, sinking into the soft, treacherous bog. We backed out just in time to avoid serious trouble, and had to go north again, skirting the marsh slowly and with care, until we were once more in the hills we had recently left. This was seriously annoying, and we appealed to Alala. Is there a path from here to the mountains? I asked. Oh yes, she said.
1: There are many paths. Do you know any of them? Not from here, Often I and my women cross to the great forest from our village, but we seldom come here at all.
0: I don't blame you, growled Moit. This part of your country is not worth photographing. What shall we do now, Sam? I don't like to go back, I said, studying the map with a suspicion that its maker had never been in this section at all. But we might try these hills. If we could find a path over them, it might lead us around the marsh and then we'd be all right how do you know there may be more marshes he suggested maybe this is all guesswork with the map and all but if we reach the ocean we could run along the beach at low tide and make good time that way it is certainly worth a try he said and if we fail we cannot be any worse off than we are present i doubted that the automobile would be much of a hill-climber because until then i had a notion that the heaviest machines, with the most power to move their weight, could climb easiest. But a few minutes removed that erratic idea from my mind. We skimmed up the slopes as lightly as an ibex, and went down them much more safely than a heavy machine would under the strain of brakes. And so, winding around this hill and over that, we kept on at an easy pace until the breath of salt air could be felt, and we knew we were close to the sea. But now the hills had become rocky and more difficult. One good-sized mound stood right in our way, and after a close inspection through a telescope, we saw a broad ledge running along its right side, which promised a way through to the coast. By now it was after midday, for much time had been consumed in seeking a path through this wild and unknown country. So we halted for lunch, and as we ate, I said to Alala, How do you speak such fine English, princess, when your people have always hated the whites and tried to drive them from your dominion? The
1: king, my father, she answered, is very wise. From his captors he has learned that half of the people in the world speak English, so he thought it would be best for some of the Teclas to speak English too. One day our watchers brought to the king a man and woman who were English but could speak a little Spanish as well. My father promised them life if they would teach us to speak the English tongue. So the man taught the king and his noble chiefs each day in the courtyard of the palace, while the woman taught the foreign tongue to me and my favorite attendants in our own rooms. It was a long task and a hard one, but after many moons some of us could speak and understand the English well enough. Did
0: you also learn to read? Duncan asked.
1: No, my father says Written words are lies, for when you read the signs, you cannot read the speaker's eyes and know that he speaks the truth. The Teklas do not love the sign language and will not have it. That's just stupid, I said. If you can't read, you can't know what's going on in the world. And that is what we do not wish to know, she answered, smiling. My people say that to hear of other people is to make unhappiness. We live only our own lives, so why should we care what happens in other lives in other countries? It struck me that there was some
0: sense to that, if their own lives were sufficient to content them. What became of the wet man and woman who taught you English? asked Duncan.
1: After we learned to speak their tongue, my father killed them,
0: she answered simply. Then he lied too. I said.
1: Not so. He promised them life if they would teach us, and they lived. But he could not promise them life for all time, because all life is uncertain.
0: So he killed them?
1: Yes, having no longer need of them. They were white, and the Teklas hate all whites. Because of their color? No, because they once robbed our people and drove them from their homes. Listen, Ilala said Duncan earnestly.
0: The white race that wronged your people was the Spanish race. But there are many whites that are not Spaniards, any more than all Indians are Teclas. So you have no reason to hate us, who are not Spanish, and we have never wronged you. I do not hate you, she answered, taking his
1: hand and pressing it fondly. I love you. But your people hate us. She grew serious. If I should come to rule my people, was the slow answer, I would command them to hate and kill only the Spaniards. But I will never rule them, because I shall go with you to your own country, where you are king, and help you to rule your subjects.
0: I laughed at the idea, although the sentiment was pretty. Duncan frowned at me. He did not tell the Indian maiden that He was merely a bankrupt inventor, with no subjects and no wealth aside from the possession of this amazing machine. Why should he? We moved on again, following the natural ledge of rock that wound around the hill. The precipice beside it grew deeper and more dangerous as we advanced, and the ledge narrowed until often there was barely room for the machine to pass around a projection. Also, the ledge sometimes inclined toward the chasm at an awkward angle that forced us to crawl cautiously along and rely upon the rubber tires to keep us from slipping off the rock entirely. Not knowing from one moment to another what the windings of the ledge were about to disclose, it's obvious that our journey was as interesting as it was exciting. But we kept moving with a dogged perseverance until, with the end almost in sight, we were brought to an abrupt halt by the total disappearance of the ledge itself. With a precipice in front of us, and one at our right, while a steep wall of rock towered at our left, we had no trouble to decide that we had to go back by the same nerve-wracking path we had come. This was more embarrassing than we had no room to turn around, and it was no easy task to back the machine over the dangerous places. Duncan made us all get out and walk while he steered the machine along its crab-like course. It filled me with wonder and aberration, and I'm sure Lala considered him little less than a god. We had dropped the dome top to bring the weight closer to the ground, and if the automobile chanced to slip over the edge, Duncan would have to leap out and save himself. Yet so dear was the machine to its inventor, I feel positive that Moit, at any time before Alala had enslaved him with her sweet face, would have gone to his death in it without hesitation, rather than live to see it demolished. But the pretty Indian princess now possessed his heart as the automobile had possessed his brain. And with such a divided allegiance, I looked to see him jump in case anything went wrong. But nothing did and so the occasion to test the strength of his affection for the girl or the machine did not transpire. Knowing so accurately the capabilities of his marvelous invention, he was able to guide us safely until we reached once more the base of the hill and came upon level ground. Then we all breathed again and, entering the car, held a council to discuss our further actions. Isn't the Atlantic coast inhabited by your people? I asked Lala.
1: Only in the northern part, where the coconut groves are, she answered.
0: Then as we questioned her, she told us some interesting things about her people. Off the coast were several islands, also inhabited by the Sandlaise tribes, the chiefs of which all paid tribute to Nalignad. These tribes hated the whites even more venomously than did the dwellers on the mainland, although they traded constantly with many ships that came to them for their coconuts which were considered the finest in all the world. She said these ships were from many countries, but their crews were never permitted to sleep a night upon the shore and merely landed to make their trades with the natives. The San Blas people built great pyramids of coconuts close to the landing places, and when a ship arrived, the natives retired and allowed the traders to come ashore and examine and count the supply of coconuts. When they had estimated the worth of the offering thus made to them by the Indians, they placed beside the pyramids such articles as they were willing to exchange, including beads, clothing, tools, and liquors. Then they all retired to their ship and allowed the Indians to advance and look over the goods. If they were satisfied it was fair exchange, they took the plunder away and permitted the traders to load the coconuts upon their vessel. But if the Saint Blaise considered the offer too little, They left the goods untouched and again retired. Then the traders had to add more until the natives were content before they undertook to remove a single coconut. No other form of communication ever took place between these two inimical races. and the San Blaise island tribes were so rich in coconut groves and so shrewd in trading that they were the most prosperous subjects the king could boast. Smaller grows around the mainland, south of the marsh country, and the traders reached that district by entering a bay, and the mouths of one or two rivers. But all trading was there conducted in the same manner as upon the islands, and it was only in the north, where we had entered, that the whites came occasionally to trade for skins, tortoiseshell, and grains from the farmlands. And with these parties, the lieutenant personally conducted the trading and was thus able to jealously guard his border from invasion. I'd like to say at this point in my digression from my story, that many travelers who have no personal experience with the San Blaise Indians have been introduced by the unreliable gossip of traders to write preposterous tales concerning the manners and customs of these interesting natives. As a rule, such descriptions are very misleading and I am quite positive no white men before our visit to the Teclas had ever had the same opportunities to observe their country and their customs as we had. So much time had been lost in our futile journeying and in discussing our plans with the princess that the sun was now low on the horizon. It was discouraging to reflect that in all that day long we had accomplished nothing at all since our escape from the village. To endeavor to cross an unknown country at night would be folly, so there was nothing to do but find a convenient place to camp until morning. Our safest plan, I counseled, is to return to the river the way we came and paddle upstream as far as possible. Then we could take to the bank and still follow the stream to the Valley of Diamonds. Our departed friend the German was not a success as a mapmaker, but we know that he followed the river the way I propose. So that part of the country is probably depicted on the map with a fair degree of accuracy. This plan will oblige us to pass the villages again. That will maybe mean a fight. Not necessarily. The country is level there and we can dash by at full speed before they know we're coming. It really seemed the only practical thing to do. So we decided to get as near to the king's village as possible without danger of being observed and then wait until daylight to regain the river. I kept watch through the telescope as we bowled along the smooth meadows, and when, just at dusk, I sighted the distant enclosure, we came to a halt. While Nux and Bry cooked us a good supper, and the rest of us got out of the car and strolled to the brook to stretch our limbs, I felt that three was a crowd, and let Duncan and Elala walk by themselves. They wandered so far and were so deeply occupied by their own interesting conversation that, when the meal was ready, I jumped into the machine and ran it over to where they were sitting side by side on the bank of the brook. It was easy enough to do. I'd watched Moit very carefully, but the inventor was not at all pleased with what he called my infernal meddling and told me to keep my hands off his property thereafter. When darkness came on and it was time to sleep, I proposed rigging up a little room in front of the car for Lala by suspending blankets from the dome to the floor. In this way, the princess would have all the seclusion of a private apartment. But Duncan protested that he had no intention of sleeping while we were in so dangerous a position, and Lala very promptly decided to sit up with him and keep him company so there was no need for the rest of us to do more than lie down and go to sleep, an undertaking which we accomplished with much satisfaction. Chapter 15 We Search for the Valley At the first sign of light we were off, making to the north until we had nearly reached the edge of the wood, and then following its curves over the plains toward the west. In this way, we managed to gain a considerable distance northward from the villages, and although we passed some scattered houses and a few groups of farmers who were early up in the fields, there was no attempt made to interfere with our progress. But when we came to the bank of the main river, the same point where we had first landed, we found a different condition of affairs confronting us. Fully a hundred warriors were gathered on the bank armed and prepared to receive us. I saw them through our telescope before they could see us, and we halted at once for a conference. The Lignad had evidently conceived the notion that in order to leave his country, we would be forced to pass down the river at this point, and therefore it was here he had determined to assemble his forces in order to stop us. He was right in his conclusion that we needed the waterway to carry us to our ship, but he was wrong in thinking we were ready to escape. The approach to the river was somewhat confined, because the forest was on the one side of us, and the high bank stream entered the river on the other side, narrowing the plain whereon we could travel to a rather small space. It would be impossible to proceed without coming into contact with the band of natives ahead of us. These warriors seemed intent on watching the river, for they had no idea, that we had altered our course and would come up behind them. Indeed, we afterwards learned that there was a good path around the base of the hills to the east, and had we not been so ignorant of the country, we may not have turned back at all. But here we were, confronting a grave emergency, and it puzzled us for a time to know what to do. Duncan solved the difficulty in his own peculiar way. "'Isn't that the house over there?' "'he asked, pointing to a roof "'that showed above a small hollow. "'It looks like it,' I answered. "'And the princess, who was quite at home in this area, "'said we were right. "'Without more ado, Duncan ran the machine over to the house, "'passing a man who stood on a field staring at us. "'As we drew up at the door of the primitive hut, "'Moyt leapt out of the car. "'A woman sprang away like a startled deer "'carrying a child in her arms and screaming lustily although Alala called to her to not be afraid. Duncan entered the house and quickly returned, bearing a bow and a sheaf of arrows in a leather quiver. His face wore a smile of satisfaction, but as he rejoined us and started the car again, I said to him, Do you think we can shoot better with that outfit than with our revolvers? Yes, one shot will be worth a volley from a regiment, he returned. I have to admit I was puzzled, but he graciously allowed me to run the car, although at a moderate speed, so that I had little chance to observe his immediate actions. However, I heard him lift the trap in the door, and then, after a period of silence, he touched my arm and told me to stop. We could now observe with the naked eye the group of Indians on the river bank. Who can make the best shot with these contrivances? asked Moyt. I turned around and finally understood his plan. To one of the arrows he had firmly tied the slender glass bottle, and I could see that it had again been filled with the dreadful explosive. "'Aw, oh, shoot,' said Nux, nodding his head gravely. Both of the Maoris shot splendidly with the bow, for it was their native weapon, but Nux was the best marksman of the two. Duncan handed the arrow and bow to him and opened a side window when we get a hundred yards away from the river he said shoot the arrow among the sambles but try if you can to strike one of those trees growing by the bank can you shoot so far and straight nux nodded confidently but held the arrow with great caution and was evidently afraid of it the machine started again and rolled over the thick turf at a great rate of speed heading directly toward the river "'Soon one of the Indians discovered us and gave a cry "'that turned every face in our direction. "'Now!' shouted Moyt, without slackening speed. "'Nux drew the bow, and the arrow sped swiftly on his mission. "'His aim was good, but the bottle so weighted the shaft "'that I feared for a moment it would miss the mark. "'It flew over the heads of the group in a graceful curve "'and struck a root at the very base of the tree.' the explosion was instantaneous. The tree itself flew skyward, and the air was filled with earth, wood, and Indians. I don't know how many of the Sambles suffered in that catastrophe, but those who were left were thrown into such dire confusion that they fled in all directions, and many leapt into the river in an endeavor to escape. In the meantime, the machine never abated its speed for an instant, although the ears of all on board were ringing with the shock. We knew that we had to take advantage of our opportunity and the confusion of our foes, so we drove on until we reached the low shelving bank, and the next moment plunged unhesitatingly into the water. Duncan sprang the paddles on the rims and turned the wheel to guide our course upstream. Before the Indians could recover, we were a good distance away and had turned the first bend so that we were hidden from their view. Get the revolvers. Stand ready, said Moyt. They will probably follow, and we cannot tell how long the water will be of sufficient depth to float us. But the San blaze decided not to give us chase. They had ample evidence by this time that we were dangerous, and since we had chosen to proceed still farther into their territory instead of trying to leave it, they would have plenty of time to reorganize their forces and determine on the best method to oppose us. We found the stream navigable for several miles. Then we reached the uplands, and the water began tumbling amongst rocky boulders in a way that made further progress dangerous. So we took to the land, gaining the left bank with ease, and then rolling along in a southerly direction. And now we had occasion to blame the mapmaker again, for instead of the single fork in the stream which he had depicted, we found a dozen branches, leading down from the mountains and forming a regular network on this part of the plain. We forded several, losing more and more of our sense of location, until we finally came to a high embankment that barred our way and were forced to follow its course up into the forest, which we reached about the middle of the afternoon. The grandeur of this immense woodland, as we approached its border, both awed and amazed us. The wood we had passed at the north was nothing more than a grove of trees when compared with the grand primeval forest that covered the mountain as far as the eye could see. We hardly knew whether to turn to the east or west at this point, so we asked Alala if she had any idea in which direction lay the valley where the white pebbles could be found. She had none at all. The law forbidding the Teklas to gather those pebbles was passed by the king, her father, years ago, when she was but a child, and no one had ever mentioned in her hearing where they had been found. Fairly bewildered as to our whereabouts by this time, we turned to the left, and easily fording now the shallow streams we encountered, visited several valleys without having a notion whether any of them was the one we sought or not. Finally, I said to the princess, The place we seek has a great rock of red granite in the center, and part of the rock points like an arm directly at the forest.
1: Oh, yes,
0: she exclaimed.
1: That place I remember well, for I have visited it often as a girl. Here was finally cheering news indeed. Is it near here? asked Duncan. It is far to the right,
0: she answered after some thought.
1: We should not have come in this direction at all.
0: Blaming ourselves for our stupidity and not questioning the girl about this landmark before, we turned the machine again and began to double back on our tracks. This means spending another night in the wilderness, said Boyd. But he spoke with unusual cheerfulness, and I reflected that as long as Alala was by our side, our inventor was not likely to complain of the length of this trip. At least there seem to be no Indians in this neighborhood to annoy us, I observed. You know, Duncan, I believe your invention of the glycerin explosive is almost as important as the machine itself. Oh, it has helped us nicely into emergency so far, he answered soberly, but I hope we shall not be called upon to use it again. It is so powerful that it frightens me. Every time I handle it, I place all of us in as much danger as I do our enemies. A premature explosion is not unlikely to happen. This is especially true in so hot a climate as the one we are now traveling in. The can that contains the glyceroid was quite warm when I filled the bottle today, and this condition adds to its tendency to explode. That made me just a little uneasy to hear. Doesn't it require a jar to set it off, though, I asked? Almost always and there is less chance of a jar to the can if we leave it alone. We finally reached the place where we had first arrived at the forest, and fording the stream, which was shallow as it came from the wood, continued our search to the westward. The country was very beautiful around here, and when I asked Alala why it was not more thickly settled, she said that the forest was full of terrible beasts and serpents, which attacked men fearlessly and destroyed them so few cared to live in the neighborhood we were not afraid though with the protection of the car and when the princess recognized just at dark a familiar landmark and assured us the valley we sought was not far distant we decided to make our camp where we were and await the morning to complete our quest the temperature cooled rapidly in the shade of the forest, and we were now in the uplands, where the day was never as sultry as on the lower plains, so we thoroughly enjoyed the evening. Ilala sang sweetly some of her native songs, and Nux and Bri favored us with a duet that they had learned in their own faraway island home. So we were merry enough until bedtime, and then the Maoris, being appointed to keep watch, the rest of us turned in and slept fairly well until morning, despite the sound of an occasional wild beast prowling around our glass-covered retreat.